Having completed a series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to begin a series this morning, which is called Losing Grip. I'm going to let you figure out what that's about. It is actually a series of sermons on how we might put Christ at the center of different parts of our lives, from ourself to our work to our family to the church. How do we lose grip on having to be in control so that Christ might be made present in all things? For this first sermon called Decenter Yourself, we have two verses. You heard them in our children's message this morning from Paul's letter to the Galatians, second chapter. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. Some have called the book of Galatians the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Old-fashioned Protestants tend to really like this book, even if they, even if we, don't fully understand it, because it proclaims freedom, and we like freedom. Martin Luther described this book as a spouse to him. So wedded was he to its message of grace and acceptance and salvation in Christ. The book of Galatians, Galatians proclaims this freedom for a purpose, though, which is so Christ can work in us. And so Jesus, where he fits into the sweep of scripture and tradition and how God is working God's purposes in the world through Christ becomes very important also in this book. So Paul kind of swings in this letter between us and Christ, and us and Christ, and us and Christ, wanting to turn our attention, in fact, to what lies in between, which is the gift of faith. And it sits right there in the 20th verse of the second chapter. Now, I should be, and so am, a little nervous about preaching from the book of Galatians with Dr. Michael Hegeman sitting right behind me, who, as many of you know, mm -hmm, wrote, in fact, a PhD dissertation based on this very book. So I hope that he will not listen this morning. <laughs> or at least he'll correct me later. But, but for my money, 
this verse in Galatians is the most wonderful, curious, fascinating line or idea in the whole book. And even at that, just the first half of the verse is about enough for me. It is the movement of faith in its simplest form. Let's go back and read it again, beginning at 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. Now, the argument at the time for Paul was precise and specific. It was about Christians and the Jewish law. So I might be committing some academic heresy here, Mike, but I want to pull all of that out and talk about what we might or how we might experience all of this today and how we might swing ourselves between approaches to the faith that we might try on our way to the faith that this book of Galatians imagines for us. So try this for a little bit of a paraphrase of the verses that were read in your hearing. I went through the desert of trying to make a life and religion on my way to a better way. I found that better way by taking how I imagine my life and opening it to the story and power and meaning of Christ's life and to find life there, to live life there in the space that that opening creates. Now let me repeat that. I went through the desert of trying to make a life and a religion on my way to a better way. I found that better way by taking how I imagine my life and opening it to the story and the power and the meaning of Christ's life and to find my life there, to live life there in the space that that opening creates. I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. Describes a kind of life that Paul thinks is possible in Christ and is in fact made possible by Christ, alive and with us. But, but it's different in some ways from the, a couple of the ways in which we tend to live our faith day to day. The pendulum sort of swings back and forth for us sometimes in faith. And the pendulum can swing to the side of us sometimes to what I might call a me faith. I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And we're tempted to think that it kind of begins with me, 
A lot of preaching actually says that to kind of woo you in by implying that the sole purpose of God, the whole point of believing and following is to help me get what I think I want or think I need and not so much to change what I want or what I need. Me! It's a kind of faith that is filtered by my desires or my tastes or even my prejudices. It's natural now, we all do it in some ways and in some moments more than in others. The old Lutheran thinker Soren Kierkegaard called it aesthetic faith, shaped by our preferences, our interests or what we bring to it. It is a stage of faith, albeit a, a, a kind of childish one, but we all pass through it and some of us get stuck in it. Me, faith, is tempting. I mean, I included can be so overwhelmed by life that sometimes the best I can do is to look up and just say, please help me. Or I can be so self-conscious, so self-conscious that all I want is what's familiar or pleasing or comfortable. But what possesses us to think that that is entirely what faith is for? There's a theologian and writer on worship named Marva Dawn, who once when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, we invited Marva to come and preach at our church, and she stood in the pulpit, and she gave a wonderful sermon, and in the middle of the sermon was one line about all of this that got everyone clucking for months, when she said, you know, when I'm preaching or leading worship in a church and someone comes through the line after church and says to me, I really hated that hymn we sang this morning. My response to them is usually, that's fine, but we're not worshiping you. <laughs> I don't know, I don't like some hymns too. But there is a place at which it's easy to think it's ours and not God's. I have a book on my bookshelf that's titled, A God Who Looks Like Me. I bought it because I was curious to see what the author was going to do with a title like that, and I looked through it, and as I looked through it, I found myself wondering why in the world would I want a God who looks like me, for goodness sake. The Bible says that we are created in the image of God, not God and created in our image. So the movement of faith is not reducing God to us by our limited imagination, but of God moving toward us and coming alongside us by God's action and by God's spirit and by God's love. God has mercy on us and help and encouragement and the parking place in the shade on a hot day does come to us sometimes and maybe 
a little divine aid is part of that now and then. But in the end, as much as it can meet some of our needs, that kind of faith that basically begins and ends with me just doesn't grow. It actually gets smaller over time. And that kind of faith can crash on the rocks of disappointment or temptation or not getting what you think you wanted from all of this. And it misses God's, what God's spirit might do to teach me what I actually need divine help with and for. God seems to want more for us than that. But on our way to more, the pendulum can actually kind of swing the other way, too, to a kind of believing in which I pretty much cling to faith as something that's there to grab and hold and nail down and get right and to see Christ in that way, too. That's I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. Christ and Christ alone, less me, more him. Now, that's not a bad step in itself. It can lead us closer. I mean, that bumper sticker that you see around town with the me, with the I, rather, and the mathematical sign for less than, and then he after that, isn't totally wrong-headed. It's a nice sort of antidote, I suppose, to a me, faith. But that's not yet quite what Paul is talking about, at least if it gets stuck. For over time, it has, it becomes, or has a way, rather, of becoming less about Jesus than it does about what we think about Jesus. So, if the me kind of faith risks a kind of narcissism, this kind of believing risks a kind of fundamentalism, whether it's liberal fundamentalism or conservative fundamentalism. It, it risks freezing Jesus and treating God like an object. This swing can lead to a faith that is filtered by details and by traditions, by doctrines, by platforms, by detailed arguments over little things. God said it, I believe it, that settles it, so let's argue about it. You can be very, very active in your faith. I can be very, very active in my faith, even overwhelmed by busyness in my faith, and still be stuck. I can study a lot and get keener and keener what I, about what I think I know, but this kind of faith also never really grows. It never really becomes something other than something that's out there that you're trying to grab. As busy as I can be with it, it doesn't really get inside me. It doesn't get in my heart. It can look and feel solid, but it can actually be quite fragile. It can miss the forest for the trees. It can break against the rocks 
during the storm of life. It can unravel in the face of doubt or of unanswerable questions. It can feel false even when it sounds so true. So if I'm reading scripture well enough, I think this half verse from Galatians is part of a sweep of testimony in scripture that actually urges us to a third kind of believing, what I want to call living faith. Faith alive in Christ. I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. There's the move. Emphasis on the word in the middle. The word connecting Christ and me. Who lives. Alive risen, with whom I am in a certain way crucified and risen too. This is what Paul is talking about. Me, no longer the subject of my religion, Christ, no longer the object of my religion, faith, now uniting me as the object of God's life-making love and Christ as the subject of how God touches me in a living faith. I, not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life that Christ lives here is not a thing, like we often speak of life as life as opposed to death. The life described here is more like a kind of vitality. It is an animating energy. It is how God is the life of the universe. The Christ alive in us is the vitality of our living this side of the Garden of Eden. Real in the world, in our days, in our hearts and our minds and our work and our pain and our joy and our yearning and in our future. This is, a, this is an incarnate and engaged kind of faith. Awestruck and fearless. Blessed and generous. Comforted and called. Reassured and pushed. God wants more than what you want. God knows more than what you think. God wants you, all of you, alive and connected, challenging and trusting, accepting, rejoicing, mourning, working, resting, living and dying. And God knows you, doubting and wondering and believing and learning and wrestling and all of it. God wants you to be, or God rather wants God's self to be part of your believing as your faith grows and matures. God wants to be alive in your believing, not just an object of it, but a loving teacher 
a healer, a calling and nudging and convicting spirit. Living faith is relationship. Neither simply affirming you or eclipsing you, but creating and recreating you, head and heart together in a relationship to what is most real about life. So living faith involves us face to face. And so it can bear our emotions and it can help us change. And living faith challenges us, so it can be hard sometimes. There are no cliches in living faith. Living faith takes the world in which we live very seriously, and it's willing to make difficult decisions, small and big, even when we're not entirely sure that we got it right. And it's willing to join with others as we do. It doesn't avoid issues, but it doesn't force them either. Living faith inspires and fills us. Rich, wise, honest, intriguing. It is a flourishing faith. Like a plant that has the right balance of water and sunlight to create life. Many of you know that I spent six years as a chaplain at a secular liberal arts college in northern New England. I would often have faculty at the college come to me and walk into my office about some issue or another and look at me and say, well, what does Christianity think about this? And my response was usually, which Christianity? Or they'd say, how come Christians believe that? And they would usually say something that they learned in about third grade Sunday school about what Christianity is or does. And I realized after time that many of them, not all by any means, but many of them had really about a seventh grade Sunday school understanding of Christianity. They never really understood the richness and complexity of it. They never understood that we can spend our entire life trying to understand what this is all about and find ourselves only a little bit on the way. We should never assume that we've got this thing down and don't really need any, to learn anything more about it. We should never think that this is in a box that we can hold and protect and open up now and then when it has something in it we might need. Faith is alive and is as alive as the Christ who animates it is alive and is gone ahead of us. So how many of our youth have lost their faith when they run into the questions that the world brings them because the church has not offered them this kind of living faith? We set them on the pendulum swing, but never take them to the core. And how many of us have lost our way too in the headwinds of life, wanting more than just an idea to guide us and looking to see if there's any real presence in life after all, a presence that is vital and reaching and wants more for us than we want for ourselves and knows us better than we know ourselves and calls us into relationship 
It is no longer we who live. It is Christ who lives in us and for us and with us and we in and with him. That's quite a half verse. Amen.